As the eyes of the world focus on the latest flood of calamities, the most urgent may not be the most visible to the average person, yet it is a growing menace that could ravage Western civilization. What is this crisis? The removal of foundational principles, the lessening influence of Christianity, the resistance to the guardrails of biblical morality, are all producing growing decadence and cultural disintegration. For decades, we have seen an erosion of Christian values, but today we are experiencing a world gone mad. What can we do in a world hostile to Christianity? Dr. Yusuf presents a seven-part plan providing practical steps on how to be a godly influence in our society and how to take a stand for our faith in a culture aggressively opposed to the truth of Christ. Contact us today to order your copy of Hope for This Present Crisis and the Hope for This Present Crisis Action Guide. Visit us at ltw.org today. Get your copy when you give a gift to Leading the Way for any amount today. Here's the number, 866-626-4356. You can also get your book on the way when you click over to ltw.org. ltw.org. There is only one way that you can know what your Heavenly Father is like, and that's in His Word. There is only one manifestation of what your Heavenly Father is like, and that is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one source from which you can understand and how to relate to your Heavenly Father, and that's the Bible. And so you'll understand in Joshua chapter 20, there you see a glimpse of the character of your Heavenly Father. Thank you for joining Dr. Michael Youssef for Leading the Way. You know, it's sad that so many have dismissed the Old Testament as not much more than an old antiquated collection of stories, irrelevant to life, rather than seeing the Old Testament as God's Word and inspiration for a Spirit-filled life in 2023. Today, Joshua, a life in the Old Testament that reveals a lot about the forgiving heart of our Heavenly Father. You will see clearly that, as Dr. Youssef teaches about cities of refuge, fascinating content, especially relevant for today. Listen now as he begins this episode. You could not have heard me for very long without hearing me making references to my early childhood and my boyhood and the fact that... um, I was quite a mischievous little fella, and for my mischievous deeds, I received a little bit more than my fair just reward from my father. My father believed in one form of justice, his. (laughs) Mercy was only administered on few occasions at the insistence of my mother. And so you can understand my ardent desire that whenever I got into mischief, I wanted to run as far away from my father as possible, especially if he saw me. (laughs) Now, if he had not seen me, you can understand also my ardent desire to try to beg, bribe, and plead with my siblings not to tell him. Suffice it to say that at the age of 11, I changed schools without telling my father. (laughs) And he had to find out the hard way. (laughs) I was what you would call full of initiatives since I was a little fellow. 
I really was. That's the nice way to put it. But the point I'm trying to make is beyond this, is that I did have a boyhood friend, and my boyhood friend got into some trouble, not as much and as many times as I did, but he got into some of the trouble with me. And um, what used to really confuse me, and has confused me for a long time, is that when I got into trouble, I ran away as far as I could from my father. But when he got into trouble, he ran to his father. And I couldn't understand that. That was very confusing to me. Then I committed my life to Christ. And I began to develop intimacy with my Heavenly Father. And I began to know my Heavenly Father. And I realized that my friend had a relationship and developed that relationship with his earthly father that is more akin to what my relationship and our relationship with our heavenly father ought to be and should be. I want you to listen very carefully. Now that I have been in the ministry and have seen and talked to countless number of people, I have come to the conclusion that there are basically two types of people. There are those who were like me when I was a boy. Whenever they get into sin and rebellion against God, whenever they come under conviction, they run away from God. And then there are those who have learned that whenever they get into sin and rebellion, they immediately run and ask for forgiveness and repent of their sins. They run to the Heavenly Father. You say, how come? Well, you see, it all depends on your view of your Heavenly Father. If you view the Heavenly Father to be arbitrary and to be vindictive and to be angry and in response to my faults, if your view of your Heavenly Father as the one who just cannot wait for you to come to Him and ask for forgiveness and He'll let you have it, and therefore, you'll foolishly run away from Him. Or do you see your Heavenly Father as the God of mercy and the God of grace and the God who's full of compassion, who longs for you and for me to come to Him in repentance and seeking His forgiveness? It all depends. But here's the problem. Listen to me very carefully. There are many people who equate their relationship with their Heavenly Father based on their relationship with their earthly fathers. Big mistake. Big mistake. Listen to me. Whether your earthly father was gentle or harsh, whether your earthly father is kind or not, whether your earthly father strong or weak, whether your earthly father is merciful or not, whatever your relationship with your earthly father, whether it is good or bad, do not equate that relationship with the Heavenly Father. There is only one way that you can know what your Heavenly Father is like, and that's in His Word. There is only one manifestation of what your Heavenly Father is like, and that is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one source from which you can understand and how to relate to your Heavenly Father, and that's the Bible. And so you'll understand in Joshua chapter 20, there you see a glimpse of the character of your heavenly Father. 
a glimpse of the merciful Heavenly Father. Turn to it with me if you haven't already. Joshua chapter 20. We saw how God supernaturally provided for His people. We saw how God supernaturally crossed them over the river of impossibility. We saw how supernaturally the imperitable walls of Jericho crumbled before them. We saw how God compassionately helped them deal with sin and repent and turn to Him. We saw how supernaturally God gave them victory over powerful enemies. We saw how God divided the land of promise between them. We saw how He rebuked them when they were slack in not claiming the inheritance that He provided for them. And here in chapter 20, God instructs them to exercise justice, to exercise mercy, and to exercise compassion. How? By building six cities of refuge. This is not a new idea that God said, hey, by the way, now you divided the land among you, now start building six cities of refuge. No, no, no. This was actually given to them back in the book of Exodus. God told Moses to establish cities of refuge, and we're going to see why and the significance of that in a minute. In Exodus chapter 21, and then it was detailed of what to do in the book of Numbers chapter 35 and in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19. And so here's the question. Why would God stress the importance of building these cities of refuge four times in the Scripture? Four times. The answer. Because God wanted to stress the sanctity of human life. God wanted to impress upon them the value that they must place on every life. God wanted to emphasize the seriousness of taking another's life, even if it is by accident. Let me give you the background very quickly so you can track with me. The law required life for life. When somebody deliberately takes someone's life, that life must be lost because to emphasize the value of life. But then the problem came if you get two guys out in the forest, and they were cutting woods, and then all of a sudden an axe flew from one's hand, hit the other guy, and he died. What's the answer then? Well, according to the law of God, this person who is unintentionally committed manslaughter, should not die. But the danger, of course, is you get the next of kin and a brother or uncle or somebody says, I don't care, intentional or unintentional, I'm going to kill him. I am going to take revenge, and I have the law on my side. And so God, the God of justice, the God of mercy, the God of compassion, the God of grace, told Joshua to build six cities throughout the land of Israel, three on each side of the river Jordan. What is the purpose? What purpose would these cities serve? They were to be cities in which a man who committed unintentional manslaughter would run and find refuge. But that's not all. The road to these cities of refuge must be in excellent condition. But that's not all. The crossroads to these cities of refuge must be well signposted and well marked 
But that's not all. The direction to the cities of refuge must be very clear. And signs that says, refuge, refuge, refuge. But that's not all. There were runners along the road who were posted in order to guide the fugitive to the city of refuge, to the nearest one. There were there these runners would help the fugitive to run into the gates of the city of refuge. These runners were there to guide the person into the right place. These runners were to point the direction to the city of refuge. These runners were to support that person along the way until he reaches the city of refuge. And then when the fugitive arrives, presumably breathless, without Wasting a word, he will present his case to the city elders who form the court of the city of refuge. And the court will make a provisional decision, a snap decision, to give him an asylum until the time for a proper trial is set. And if the manslayer is acquitted of premeditated murder, then he must live inside the city of refuge until the high priest had died. After the death of the high priest, that person goes back to his home, goes back to his city, goes back to his community, and he functioned as a citizen. You say, wait a minute, Michael. I understood all of that. I understood everything you said except that business about the high priest dying. Why is this man be set free only at the death of the high priest. Listen carefully, please. Because the high priest's death is the only ransom for the manslaughter charge. The death of the high priest was the only redemption for the guilty charge. The death of the high priest was the only atonement for that man's sin. The death of the high priest was the only satisfaction to the justice system. Now, if you haven't got the picture by now, you will in a minute. If you haven't begun to shout inside of you, I hope you're going to shout outside of you when you get the picture cleared for you. Amen. Listen carefully. You and I are the guilty ones. We're born with guilt. We're born with sin. We inherited sin of Adam. And therefore, the word guilty was written all over us. We were guilty of breaking the law of God. We were guilty of living for self. We were guilty of ignoring and snubbing a holy and righteous God. We were guilty of insubordination and disobedience to the living God, the Creator God, and the Redeemer God. Whether we did this out of knowledge or out of ignorance, it makes no difference. Whether we did this deliberately or not, it makes no difference. The courts of heaven has convened and said, guilty as charged. You're born with sin. You're alienating yourself. You're born alienated from the Father. And the courts of heaven declared us all guilty. Not one of us that was born, that was not born guilty. Oh, but then some run along the road. <laughs> some run along the road. He told us where to find the city of refuge. Some run along the road 
told us that we can find a place of refuge, that we can find relief from guilt, that we can find escape from the grip of sin, that we can find escape from the judgment of sin, that we can be those forerunners, those runners have told us where the city of refuge is. They told us who the city of refuge is. And now, after we come to the city of refuge, we come to receive atonement. We receive forgiveness. And we receive restoration and healing. When we came to the city of refuge, we were set free. Not only from sin, but the wages of sin. Amen. Amen belongs here. Amen. 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 You see, because the great high priest already died on the cross for us, we therefore became redeemed. And now, you and me are the runners. Now, we are the ones who would point the way to the city of refuge. We are the runners who help others to find escape from death and from judgment and from the wrath to come. We are the runners who help others to find escape from eternal death because that is the call of God upon us. And when a repentant sinner comes in and discovers that the great high priest, not just any high priest, but the great high priest died on the cross for them, that by the death of the great high priest, that they have been set free, that by the death of the great high priest, he satisfied the claims of the courts of heaven and our behalf, that by the death of the great high priest, the ransom was paid for every repentant individual, regardless of his age, regardless of his color, regardless of his background or her background, regardless of where they come from that the death of the high priest, the great high priest, was the only provision that God gave us for pardon and restoration and reconciliation with Him. That by the death of the great high priest, we have been set free from sin and the condemnation of sin and the wages of sin and the curse of sin. In the death of that great high priest, we've been given eternal life and a new life in Christ. Amen belongs here. Amen. You see, that is why the psalmist, in Psalm 46 verse 1, he looks forward through the eyes of faith, and he sees Christ coming into the world. He says, God is our refuge and strength, and a very present help in time of trouble. And that is why the Apostle Paul can look back at the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from His death, and in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 could say, Therefore, <laughs> therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is why the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews, he speaks to us in chapter 6 verse 18 and says, Having fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. No one, no one who is in Christ Jesus, who have taken his or her refuge in Jesus and the shed blood of the great high priest should ever be afraid of the judgment to come. Now, you notice I did not say nobody in the church 
or a member of the church should be afraid of the judgment to come. No, no, I didn't say that. I did not say no one who belongs to a denomination or a membership of a local church should not be afraid of the judgment to come. I didn't say that. I only said those who took refuge where? In Jesus. They should not fear the judgment of God until they come and take refuge in Jesus. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. You can do that today. In fact, I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God that those who are in the church but have never taken refuge in the shed blood of Jesus Christ should be afraid the most. Why? Because they're going to be judged more severely than those who have never heard. Hear me out on this one. The church is not. The church is not. Is not. Is not a city of refuge. I know some people teach that, but the church is not the city of refuge. The church is a signpost that is pointing the way, saying, go to the city of refuge. Go to Jesus. The church is a big sign that says to everyone who would walk through its doors, flee to Christ, take refuge in Christ, turn to Christ, repent to Christ, Turn to Him, for He alone can give you refuge from sin and the power of sin. And only when you flee to Jesus, the great high priest who died and rose again, will you find forgiveness and relief from guilt and sin. Will you have peace in the midst of troubled times? Will you have power over sin? Will you have hope and ending? Will you have eternal life with Him forever? And so, my beloved friends, the question is this. Which direction do you run when you are convicted of sin? Do you do what I did as a boy and run away from your heavenly Father, stay away from the church, stay away from fellowship, stay away from others, stay away from anybody who brings you under conviction? Or will you run to Him? He would welcome you with open arms. Do you run away from Him or do you run into Him? He is your only refuge. He is the great high priest who not only died, but He rose again. Let me speak to those of you who have known Jesus for many years, but you've been sitting on your hands. You've received salvation. You received forgiveness. But then you look around and you see people are so desperate. They're desperate to find the city of refuge. And instead of you being a runner, you stayed silent. You know where forgiveness, restoration, and healing is? But you never point away. So let me ask you, will you become a signpost pointing people to the only one who can give them refuge? Are you a runner along the way, or have you abandoned your post? Please, God, that you would never rest until you answer that question between you and God. Lord, make me a signpost that leads other to the city of refuge. For there's only one who's the refuge, and his name is Jesus. You see, Satan loves to keep you down in your sin, in your addiction. He loves to convince you that those chains cannot be broken. But I'm here to tell you the Word of God says otherwise. That when you run to the city of refuge, when you run to Jesus Christ, 
He will set you free. Would you like to have victory over the people and things that control you in your life? Experience the power of the blood of Jesus today. ltw.org slash Jesus. Well, Joshua lived an amazing life, an impactful life, didn't he? And due to his passionate faith and his faithfulness, God used Joshua to lead the wandering nation of Israel into and through the land of promise. And as an author, Dr. Youssef strives to guide people toward experiencing the abundant life in new and deeper ways, which is why we encourage you to look at reading Dr. Youssef's books. You'll experience his compassionate heart for the gospel with every word you read. Get in touch with Leading the Way today. Find out about the more than 50 titles available. You can call us 866-626-4356. Or take a look at a comprehensive look at available books when you visit ltw.org. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. 